Okay. Can you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, please? And we're going to go back to our Down and Out series. Um, I've got a couple more weeks of the Down and Out series. Um, The next series I'm going to do is actually going to be more of a verse-by-verse march through a book of the Bible. But I've got a couple more themes um, in this Down and Out series. So Down and Out, the premise of our series is that when God comes down and touches a human life, it automatically triggers an outward movement. When God comes down and touches a human life, the way he's touched our lives, it compels us to want to go out and be a blessing and make a difference in the world around us. However, because the the world that we are wanting to move out into today is in one of the most isolated, divided times, probably not the most, but one of the most isolated, divided times of our history, we need to know a couple of things as we try and move out to be a blessing and make a difference in our world. We need to know today what matters most to God. And we need to know the most important thing about what it means to be human. We need to know what's, what, what is most important to God and what's most important about our humanity. What does it mean to be humans made in the image of God? And what matters most to God? In a world that's filled with ideologies and worldviews and convictions and opinions and camps and divisions, what is the most important thing? And so I want to talk today for a few minutes about your one thing. So Matthew chapter 22, in verse 34, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And Jesus always had a way of unifying his enemies. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were the religious and the cultural leaders in Israel in between the Old and the New Testament in that period of time, they were always fighting with each other. They constantly disagreed. They constantly battled each other. The Sadducees were more conservative. The Pharisees were more aggressive. The Pharisees had more open-minded views about the supernatural and about God's revelation for the country. They were always fighting each other, and yet when Jesus came along, they found a common enemy in him. And so they were able to put their differences aside to focus on opposing the Lord. And so in verse 35, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. And, And before I read the question... I just want to state the obvious. Jesus was so brilliant. Jesus was so smart. Jesus spent his entire ministry being followed around by the most brilliant antagonistic minds of his day. He had um, scholars and professors and lawyers and Torah experts walking around trying to trip him up in his words or trying to ask him questions that would back him into a corner, and he never got flustered. In fact, one of my favorite passages actually comes right at the end of this exchange. So for just a second, scoot down to verse 41. We'll, We'll skip the question for a second. In verse 41, I love this. It says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? 
whose son is he? Son of David, they replied. And he said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And no one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And I love that phrase. No one dared to question him after this. I've always remembered a story from a political science class where they told us that there was a moment early on in U.S. history when Alexander Hamilton bet Governor Morris from Pennsylvania that he wasn't brave enough to slap George Washington on the back and treat him like a buddy or a pal. Because um, George Washington always had this incredible dignity about him and this, this, this gravitas to his personality. And, and, and yet Morris took the bet. And so at a breakfast gathering, he walks up to George Washington, slaps him on the shoulder, and he says, Good morning, General. How are you doing today? And I guess Washington looked at him with the most intense stare that Governor Morris just kind of wilted. And he didn't say another word, and he slunk into the crowd, and he went back to Hamilton, and he, he said to Alexander Hamilton, I have done the deed, <laughs> and I have paid dearly for it, <laughs> and nothing could induce me to do it again. <laughs> well, that, that's what Jesus did to these Pharisees. After his one-two question punch combination, they're sagging against the ropes, and they're saying, I will never risk that again. But before they got to that point, in verse 36, they asked him a question. They said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And this is a very important question. It's an important question for us, but this was insanely important for these people back then. There were 613 laws in the Old Testament. There, there, were, there were tons of ways of relating with and living with and honoring and obeying God. So which of those laws was most important? I mean, did, did you have to keep all of them since God gave them all to you? They're all from him. Are they all of equal value? Or if you could only obey one or two of them, was there a hierarchy? Were there a couple of commands that were more important than the others? Did, did God have an opinion about which ones were most important? I've always loved questions that deal with the, the most important thing. Um, when I was very young, I would always ask older people, what, what's your top piece of advice? Do, do, do older people hate those questions? But what, what's your top piece of advice for, for money or career or relationship or parenting? Uh, when I was brand new in Bible college, I would ask every visiting preacher, what's your top piece of advice for preaching preparation. Um, I, I had a professor that said something about reading that always marked me. He said, never read a good book if you can read a better book, because time is limited. And, and so I've always wanted to know what's better or the best. If you can only do one exercise for triceps, which one should you do? <laughs> and by the way, if you want to work your triceps, don't do kickbacks. That's a weak finishing move. That's not a power move for triceps. Do, you have to do skull crushers if you want to work your triceps. But you know, if, if you want to work your back, don't do lat pulldowns. It's a great exercise. But if you can only do one, you have to learn to do traditional pull-ups for a broad back. But, but in all areas of life, 
What matters most? Jesus, what is the greatest commandment for a nation of rule followers? And actually, I think that, I think that reframing the question might help us today. Because when they asked, what is the greatest commandment? What they were really asking is, what matters most to God? What is most important to him? See, God gave Moses the commandments. So the commandments are tied to God. And so of all of the things that God said, what they were really asking is, what matters most? And I think it would probably be good for us to know the answer to that question. Um, for, for me to be a good husband to Jessica, don't you think it would be important for me to identify what matters most to her in marriage? Don't you think I should do some due diligence to find out what's most essential for her if I want a successful relationship with her? See, it's important that we answer the question because um, not only will this show us how to please and honor God, but this is an important question because however Jesus answers this, it will tell us some very important things about God. See, when you identify what is most important to a person, you pretty much learn most everything you need to know about that person. We can have tons of interests. There are tons of things that can be important. But when you drill down to the one thing, the one thing defines the essence of the person. And so Jesus answered these people. He said, listen, I know you're trying to trip me up. I know that you've banded together against me and you're trying to back me into a corner, but you're actually setting yourself up here. You're actually asking me a very important question. So I'll take the bait. I'll play along. And so in verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And that was pretty genius to take 613 laws and shrink them down to two. He says, the entirety of the Old Testament hangs on these two commands right here. The 613 laws, I've just given them to you in, in a sentence. And in fact, this is what, what compelled the Apostle Paul to write in Romans 13, 8. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. That this is what compelled St. Augustine to say, love, then do what you please. Because if a Christ-centered, God-ordained, God-defined love is your, your path, then you're going to do pretty well. This is what matters most to God. But we, we could say it in another way. We could say it this way. Relationships matter most to God. Love God and love humanity. That's what makes us fully and truly human. And if you think about it, when people fall short of this, when people don't love, when people um, uh, exploit or, or traffic or harm or abuse, we have another name for that, don't we? We call that inhumane. It's inhumane. It's not human 
to exploit or traffic or betray or abuse or manipulate or, or treat poorly. Um, it's not human to live exclusively for self. We are most fully alive. We are most fully human. We are closest to the purpose for our existence when our lives are lived out of passionate love for God and committed love for other people. Um, It's kind of interesting, too, if you think about it, that we all learned this lesson very early on in our lives. Did you ever see Pinocchio? (laughs) Has it been a while since you've seen Pinocchio? (laughs) What a story. Let's go back to childhood for a second. Geppetto is this kindly old woodcarver that's longing for a son carves a little puppet and then just thinks, oh, if only I could have a real boy like this puppet. And then through a a form of prayer, wishing on a star, his his wish comes true. But the, the genius of the story is that even though Pinocchio comes to life, he's not a full real boy yet. Do you remember the story? He's alive, but he still has to be brought to life. He he has to learn to 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 um to do some things that prove that he's actually human. And in fact, um, can, can I just show you the clip in case it's been a while? Can, let, let's, let's watch Pinocchio's mandate here for just a second. Hey, what's going on here? As I live and breathe, a fairy. Good, Geppetto. You have given so much happiness to others. You deserve to have your wish come true. Little puppet made of pine, wake. The gift of life is thine. tonight, Geppetto wished for a real boy. Am I a real boy? No, Pinocchio. To make Geppetto's wish come true will be entirely up to you. Up to me? Prove yourself brave, truthful, and unselfish, and someday you will be a real boy. A real boy! So, of course, he does become a real boy. So, I assume you've seen it, so no risk and spoiler alerts. He, he does become a real boy. He does become fully human, but it requires something of him. It requires him to learn to embrace what Jesus Christ said when Jesus said, there's no greater love than this, than that someone would lay their life down for a friend. When Pinocchio learns to to love others, even at great cost to himself, that was his pathway to becoming fully human. And yet, do you remember another part of the story? Do you remember that there was a chapter in the story where where he went to a place and he actually started moving in the opposite direction? And instead of becoming more human, he started turning into a beast. Do you remember that part of the story? Do you remember where that was? Yeah, Pleasure Island. Pleasure Island was the place where young schoolboys were taught to live exclusively for self. 
And when Pinocchio's vision turned exclusively to pleasure, exclusively to self, exclusively to his own desires and his own opinions and his own goals, he shrunk. He actually became less human. I I think there could be a case made that, that our world is increasingly becoming Pleasure Island. In fact, that's probably even the name of a reality show. And if not, it will be. That, that's the movement of the world around us. is comfort, convenience, me, mine. Jesus came to reveal both God and humanity. In, in theology, we say he was fully God and fully human. He came to show us what God is like, and he also came to show us what it means to be fully human. The, 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 the things that matter most to God are love, relationships, and serving others. That has always mattered most to God. But I tell you what, the time that we're living in today, it's more essential than ever. The pathway forward for humans today is passionate love for God and committed love for the people around us. L- learning to passionately love God has got to be on the top of our priority list. Listen, if, if, if we aren't actively loving the people around us, if we aren't paying any price to love God more, we are falling short of the purpose of our existence. We might be succeeding at a million different things, but we're falling short in the one thing that actually matters most. And to help us with this, um, just really quickly, let me land the plane in Luke chapter 10. So go with me to Luke 10, 38. <clears throat> this is another passage where Jesus talks about another very important thing. In Luke 10, 38, it's a familiar passage. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus' words to Martha way back then are just as powerful and necessary today. There are endless things for us to be worrying and stressing about today. There are endless tasks that need our attention and our effort. Um, But there are only a few things that are essential, and perhaps just one. Sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his word. When that becomes your regular seat, something happens. You start changing from the inside out. When you sit regularly at Jesus' feet, listening to his word, you start to become the kind of person that naturally does the one thing. You know, there's a difference between someone who loves and someone who is loving, One person might be doing something that may or not be congruent with their nature. The other person loves, and they're just doing what comes naturally to them. When we sit at Jesus' feet listening to his word, we become lovers of God and lovers of humanity. Um, We we begin stepping into our truest nature and our truest selves. And, And as we end 
today by gathering around the communion table. Let me have the worship team rejoin me. Um, I want us to evaluate how much weight we're putting on the one thing. And if we need to today, let's realign our lives around the one thing. You know, I've been thinking, I love all of the creative apps that are out there for Bible reading and prayer. You may have some on your phone. They're constantly coming up with these creative apps for getting people to read, getting people to do a devotional, getting people to pray. I I love all of that. But, But do you know what they all have in common? What's the quickest, easiest, simplest, least time-consuming way to get people to engage with God. And I'm not down on a quick way to engage. I just wrote a daily devotional that a lot of us are reading. My entries are very short. You can read my entries in three minutes. Uh, but, but, but I'm wondering, are we trying to do the bare minimum to stay connected with God? It's one thing to start somebody out with something quick and easy to get them oriented but, but what, what if I thought to myself, what's the least amount of love and serving and kindness I have to do with Jessica to be her husband? That's not a real husband. But what if I said, what's the least amount of investment I have to make in my daughters to be their dad? That's not a real dad. I want to be a real boy. I want to be alive. I want to get rid of anything that would get in the way of embracing the one thing that matters most. We as a church, I don't mean Grace Church, the church, we are being led into a time in history where it is going to have to be so clear who we are and whose we are, and that will be clear as we sit at Jesus' feet, listening to his word, becoming lovers of God and lovers of humanity. And, and that's where we were made to live. That's who we were called to be. That, that's, that's what we were, we were designed for.